0: Well, again, happy Independence Day, happy 4th of July. This is a, a special today, a special day. Today we're going to remember the founding of, I think, the greatest experiment in freedom that this world uh, has ever known. Could you, could you turn that mic down just a little bit? Thank you. And so as a matter of history, it's a matter of fact, our nation was founded on the principles of God. And I know there's a lot of people that want to refute that today, but that is a fact. You know, the book of Proverbs says, A nation without God's guidance will be a nation without order. My goodness, isn't that playing out right before our eyes? Whenever we abandon God's principles, uh, nothing good is going to come from that. I think the founding fathers attempted to fulfill that prophecy that a nation guided with God would be a, guided by God would be a nation of order. I think that was their goal to allow themselves, a couple hundred years ago, to be guided uh, by God to form a country that they called a more perfect union. Now notice they didn't say a perfect union. I think even those guys knew that, that we would miss the mark of perfection in, in, in forming this great country, that we have, but back then they wanted something a little more closer to God than what I think most people seem to appreciate today. The thing is, with all the imperfections of the United States, with with all of that, with all the imperfections back then, with everything today, it's still a country that offers more freedom than any other nation on this earth. And there seems to be this loud voice these days that's claiming that that's not true, that they want to refute that fact. But folks, I believe that's a vocal minority. I believe the majority of the people that live here understand the freedoms that we have. I know I have friends that that, that attend here that are from different countries, countries where they don't experience that type of freedom. And they can tell you what that's like. And they, I think, appreciate this country sometimes more than some of us. So as imperfectly as this country began, as imperfect as it is today, it is what it is. See, see this country is full of and led by sinful human beings. That's that's a fact too. But even despite that, it is what it is because people a couple hundred years ago decided that it'd be advisable to to seek divine guidance in forming uh, this country. I preached on patriotism a while back. And I told you guys back then, I consider myself a patriot. I do. I'm proud of the country that we have. I think that the liberty that we enjoy is worth fighting for. And I thank God that there are people who have done that in the past and who continue to do that today. But one thing we can't forget is that we have a dual citizenship as Christians. We're subject of God's kingdom above all else. Blessed to be living in a free country. We celebrate today the independence of our country, but we proclaim our dependence on God and His grace. See, this country could end tomorrow, but God's kingdom is for eternity. God's kingdom is forever. So we're dual citizens, and we can't forget that. I love... Abe Lincoln's Gettysburg Address. I love that line that he stated when he said that a lot of men died to make sure that a government of the people, by the people, and for the people would never perish from this earth. And so I hope today that while we're eating hot dogs and while we're watching fireworks later on, I hope that we'll never forget about those folks that died back then. And about all the folks that have died since and all those who continue to sacrifice. I hope we'll never forget that as we celebrate our independence today. So according to Abraham Lincoln, we live in a nation that professes to be for people. Last week Randy explained that God is for you. God is for us. And this week I'm going to be trying to make the case that God is for all people. You know, the, the church, not just Journey Church, but the church in general, gets a lot of criticism these days. You know, and that's kind of what prompted us to want to, 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 to preach this sermon series called Four. Is that the criticism is, is that, well, you guys just stand up in the pulpit and all you ever talk about is what you're against. Why don't you ever talk about what you're for? And you know, sometimes I think that's true. Sometimes I think we can, we can weigh way too heavy on, on truth without offering grace. I know we're guilty of that. I think that that's sometimes true. The church is full of sinful human beings, including ministers and staff and leaders and everybody else. Sometimes we present our worldly views as somehow God's views. We just get that. We get it, we get it confused sometimes. You know, conservatives. I consider myself a fiscally conservative guy. Us conservatives, sometimes we equate our political views as the nature of Christ. And some of my more liberal friends, that they present cur- current cultural world trends as the ways of Jesus. But folks, neither one of us are right. Jesus wouldn't side with either one of us. I don't think he would affiliate with a, with a party. Jesus was kingdom-minded. And I tell you something, I kind of push back against this thing about how God is against things. I don't think God is against anything. I think God's truths are there for us because He knows that all these things that we need to avoid are going to be a detriment to us in the end. God knows what's best for people because God is for all people. You know, it's no secret that our country is pretty divided these days. And some people say that we're or claim that we're reverting back into what's called tribalism. And what tribalism means is is that's everybody kind of being grouped by their collective identities and then pitted against one another. And there's a lot of people that are a lot smarter than me that said that when that happens, violence is what is what erupts. That this disorder this is what is what comes from that. We see that friction in the Bible. We see when Peter and Paul, they were commissioned by Christ to preach to the Gentiles. Not just the Jews. Not just God's chosen people. And back then, see, the Jews had become conditioned to believe that they were it. That they were the only ones. And that non-Jews need not apply. And so these guys, these giants of, of the Bible, they were testifying to the fact that Jesus was for people. That this separation between the Gentiles and the Jews just didn't exist anymore because uh, believers from, in Christ from all races, from all ethnicities, from all backgrounds are to be united in Christ the book of Acts, it says, From one man he has made every nationality to live over the world and has determined their appointed times and boundaries of where they live. He did this so that they might seek God and perhaps they might reach out and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. They were telling their Jewish brothers and sisters that God is for all people, not just the chosen ones. Long before these, these people, long before these guys were conf- uh, confronted, the followers of Christ, long before that happened, Jesus was teaching that God is for all people. And I think I've missed that in a lot of my life, but God, or Jesus and God were for all people. Jesus was for John the Baptist, Jesus was for John. John was Jesus' cousin, he was a popular guy. At the height of his ministry. There were people coming from all over. that There were Pharisees and Gentiles alike that were flocking to John. And John was preaching this message that the Messiah was coming. And he was baptizing them in the name of the Messiah. He was doing that and people loved John. Jesus' ministry arose in the midst of all of this. And you know, if, it was, if I was Jesus, if I knew I was the Messiah, I probably would have said, you know, hey, John, you know, back off, buddy. I I got this. And there's even instances in the Bible where John the Baptist's followers were kind of saying that. It's like, hey, this guy's eclipsing you. But you know what? Jesus, Jesus let John be the head of things for a while. Jesus deferred to John until the time came. When John the Baptist was finally arrested by Herod, that's when Jesus picked up the very mantle that John was proclaiming. That we need to repent because the kingdom of heaven is near. That was John the Baptist's message and we see that that Jesus picks that up. It's almost like a baton of leadership got passed. And so Jesus picked up that message and carried on. See, See, Jesus was for John the Baptist because Jesus was for people. Eric talked about a guy a couple of weeks ago, this centurion. This Roman centurion, Matthew records this story. It says, When he entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him pleading with him, Lord, my servant is lying at home, and he's paralyzed and in agony. Jesus right away said, I'll come and I'll heal him. And this centurion said, no, I'm not worthy to come under your roof. Just say the word and my servant will be cured. For I too am a man of authority. Having soldiers under my command, I say to one, go and they go. I say to the other, come and they come. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. This guy was someone, I think, this centurion. There were two, there were two reactions the Jews would have to, to somebody like this. They would either, they would either hate him or they would be scared to death of him. This centurion, what that means is he's a ruler of a hundred people, of a hundred. Brutal Roman soldiers. And it was his job to keep the Jews in check. And no doubt he wielded a lot of authority. So they would have either despised him, hated him. Probably both. Scared to death of him. And so he was no friend of the Jews. They were ruthless people. They had no qualms with lobbing the heads off of Jews that didn't stay in line. But here he is... Asking Jesus to heal his servant. He's asking him because he's got faith that he can do it. There's no question in his mind. He's making that clear that Jesus can heal him. And Jesus, without hesitation, said that he would come to his home and he would do it. But, but what you can't miss out is this guy had respect for Jesus' traditions and his, and his religion. He knew that a Gentile coming into the home of a Jewish man would make him ceremonially unclean. Let alone a guy like him who had blood on his hands. He knew that if Jesus encountered him, that he would not be able to worship in the temple and he would have to go through a long and dragged out ceremonial cleaning. And so he said, no, I'm not worthy of that. He refused to do that. He respected Jesus. How did Jesus respond to hearing this? Jesus was amazed and said to those following him, I assure you I have not found someone in Israel with such a great faith. I tell you that many will come from east and west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. First of all, Jesus was amazed At the faith that this guy had. Now let me give you the timeline of events here. Jesus had just left Nazareth. His hometown. And he set up shop in this town called Capernaum. Nazareth is in the Galilean mountains. Capernaum is at the northern shores of the Sea of Galilee. It's at this crossroads of this major roadway. This Roman road called the Via Maris or the Way of the Sea. Nazareth, small community of Jews. Capernaum. A hub of activity for every mix of races. From Egyptians to Mesopotamians. Gentiles. Jews alike. All in this hub. Jesus had just left Nazareth after what? After his own people tried to kill him. Jesus made the statement in Nazareth. He was amazed at their lack of faith. Then he goes to Capernaum and he has this confrontation with a Gentile, and he's amazed at their faith. He says something that I think ticked off a lot of people. He said, I haven't seen faith like this with the Jews. Think about his followers. All Jewish guys, right? We don't think about this a lot. But think about how, what they thought. they would known Jesus for a, little, for a while. But think about what they thought when Jesus was telling them that these Gentiles have just as much standing as them man i think that there's two emotions confusion and anger you want to know why they tried to kill him in nazareth for the same reason because jesus said that god is for people including the gentiles that's what he said that got him nearly thrown off the brow of the cliff in nazareth is that not amazing Jesus said, this guy's got real faith. He said that, that people are going to come from the east and the west and recline at the table of Isaac and of Jacob and of Abraham. These Gentiles are going to be reclining at the table with the forefathers of the Jewish faith in heaven. I'm telling you, there's probably some people boiling over this. But Jesus was saying that That God is for all people. Jesus was for the centurion because Jesus was for all people. You guys hear me talk about this story a lot. It's one of my favorite ones, the woman at the well. John records this encounter with this Samaritan woman that Jesus had. See, Jesus took a deliberate detour through this, this country of Samaria. And I'm not totally sure that when he sat down at Jacob's well, that when he was thirsty and he was tired from his journey, I'm not sure if he knew what was coming next, but this woman comes onto the scene. She comes onto the scene, and Jesus does something that no self respecting Jew would ever do. He spoke to her. Jesus wasn't supposed to do that. She had three things going against her in this discussion. With Jesus. Gender and race and marital status. One of those is enough in first century, in the first century times of Judaism to, to, to disallow a Jew from speaking to her. Just one of them, but she had all three going against her. Jew or no, Jew or not, Jesus wasn't supposed to talk to this woman alone. She wasn't, he wasn't supposed to talk to another woman. If her husband wasn't present. He wasn't supposed to talk to this Samaritan. that this, this race of people that the Jews despised and called them half-breeds. He wasn't supposed to do that. And he wasn't supposed to have anything to do with someone with so much sin in their lives. You know, she had several husbands in her life. Through death or divorce, we don't know. But, but he wasn't supposed to be having this conversation with her. That not only did he speak with her, but he offered her and gave her salvation. And then in turn, that whole village was saved. Because Jesus dared to do what tradition said he couldn't do. Jesus was for this Samaritan woman because Jesus was for people. What about Levi? What about this guy, the tax collector? My goodness, everybody hated these guys. They despised them and for good reason. They ripped them off. They they took the Roman share of taxes and they added to it. They were already living in poverty. Some people believe that the taxes equated to like 70% of their income and it was nothing. And these tax collectors were taking advantage of their own people. But then what did Jesus do? What did he do? He talked to him. Not only did he talk to him, but he gave him the same challenge as he did these other disciples when he met him in that booth in Capernaum, in that tax collecting booth, and said, Follow me. Now, again, what are his disciples thinking? Has this guy lost his mind? This guy's a tax collector, and he's asking him to come along with us. It wasn't just the Pharisees, I would imagine. that that were asking what Jesus was doing by associating with this guy. Not only did Jesus challenge him to follow him, but later on, Jesus appointed him apostle. What about the other Jews in the crowd that got looked over? You know, the Bible, there's plenty of evidence. I I don't have time to share all of it, but there's evidence that there was this strife, that there was this question, that there, there was this kind of friction that was going on because of the things that Jesus did because it didn't meet what their world views kind of agreed with. Jesus was for Matthew, Levi who became Matthew. Jesus was for Matthew because Jesus is for people. Another one of my favorite stories that you guys are tired of me talking about is the rich young ruler. This guy was Jewish. Because he claimed, when he went up to Jesus, and what do do I have to do to enter the kingdom of heaven? Jesus gave him a handful of commandments. And his response was, I've done all those things. I've kept all the commandments all my life. What else do I need to do? And I'm going to tell you, I had this thought when I was preparing for this, because I usually follow the same line. I think we give this guy a little bit of a bad rap. I think we do. We say, well, he's lying because nobody keeps the commandments. Well, I'm, I'm kind, I, can, I can empathize with him because I'm kind of a checklist guy. I check my list off as I, as I go. And I feel like I've completed it, maybe when I even haven't. But, but maybe this guy thought he did. Maybe he thought he had kept those commandments. We all know that's not true for any of us. But, but maybe we're giving him a bad rap. The biggest thing I think we're giving him a bad rap for is when he walks away troubled. When Jesus says, hey, if you really want... Uh, to go all out give it all away and follow me it says that he was troubled and he walked away and i think we're giving him I, i'm hard on the guy for doing that i really am but the bottom line is was being honest he was counting the cost and he was struggling with it i don't know maybe this guy later on came to christ maybe he did maybe he finally realized that there's nothing worth abandoning jesus maybe he did we'll never know that until maybe that's a question we might have when we're standing before jesus but the bottom line is he was honest about what his troubles were i don't think i have been my whole life i think a lot of times i've just given jesus lip service that I've just said, yeah, I, I've stood right up here. That's my normal place. I've stood right up here and I've sang these songs. I've sang, I surrender all. I've sang, I'm giving it all to Jesus. Is that really true? So who's worse off? Is, is it the guy that, that's being honest about, what his, about how he's struggling with his faith? Or, or is it the person who's just giving lip service to Christ? You know, that really is convicting to me because that that sums up a lot of my adult life. So let's not be too hard on the rich young ruler. What was Jesus' response when he walked away? He didn't curse him. It says that he was sorrowful. It hurt Jesus when this guy walked away because he knew what he was giving up. And so Jesus was not being hard on this guy. Jesus was for this rich young ruler, again, because Jesus is for all people. I was trying to think of a modern example of someone who Jesus is for that doesn't make sense to us. And I was thinking about a guy named David Berkowitz. I think we've even mentioned him from the stage before, but we should all know who this guy is. Back in the 70s, he was a serial killer. In New York, in 1977, he was finally captured. But before then, he'd killed six people and wounded another seven people. They had, uh, he, first, he started out, he was shooting people... In the head with a 44 caliber pistol, so his first nickname before they could find this guy was the 44 caliber killer. And when they, it was a heat wave during that summer. uh, There's a book called The Summer of Sam. I like true crime novels. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of a geeky about that. But um, it was in the summer of, of the 70s. It was hot, and there was rolling blackouts in the city, and people wanted to go out, but they were afraid to because this guy was wreaking havoc on the city, and they didn't know who he was. When they caught him, it was David Berkowitz, and he claimed initially that his neighbor, Sam, that his dog actually was demon-possessed and was convincing him to go go through these murders. And that's why he got his final moniker called the Son of Sam. And so he later admitted that that was a made-up story, that he used that to try to, to make an insanity claim Uh, But later on, he told that what he was doing was a part of a satanic cult and that he was carrying out satanic rituals. And a lot of people believe that has merit, although other people were never caught up in that. But why I'm telling you about David Berkowitz is not too long ago, he claimed to be born again in prison. And of course, right away, the prosecutors and members of the family, which understandably said it's a farce, They said, he's just trying to get out of jail. Well, David Berkowitz received, I think, eight consecutive life sentences. He will never see the light of day. And actually, in an interview, he said he really thinks he should have died. But the death penalty wasn't on the table in New York at that time. I don't know if David Berkowitz is truly a Christian. I don't know if he accepted that. And really, it's not my call to make. But right now, he is leading Bible studies and he is leading people to Christ in prison. Now, do you think it would be hard? Uh, first of all, am I for David Berkowitz? The family members that lost loved ones and all that, could I be for Dave, David Berkowitz? It'd be, it, you know, it, it's difficult, I would imagine. Is Jesus for David Berkowitz? He is. Jesus is for David Berkowitz, as hard as it is for us to believe, because Jesus is for all people folks last week Randy talked about the fact that Jesus is for us And man that's good news for me and I can get into that when it's about me I'm all for it I can go with that message Jesus is for us he's for you He's for you, and He's for you. There's no doubt about that. And He calls us to come together. He calls for us to come together, not just to do what we're doing today in worship, but to live life together. That's what church is. Church is a place to believers to come together, live their lives together, and to worship, to grow together, to care for one another. Nobody in this church should feel alone or hungry. It should never happen. And nobody should be stuck in one place on their journey. Nobody. As Christians, we should be helping people, we should be supporting one another, and we should be helping each other move along this journey that leads us closer to Jesus. Randy was right when he said that Jesus is for you. But does that mean it's all about you? For most of my adult life, I believe that's what church it's this place to be served. It's a place where membership has its privileges. Where I can come and I can get the things that I need. Maybe I'll give a little money. Maybe I'll serve in a ministry a day a week or whatever. Maybe I'll do that. But most importantly, I'm coming here expecting to get something out of it. But is that what God expected church to be? Jesus is for you. There's no doubt about that. But He wants us to respond by being for people not just his people not just people that look like us not just people that think like us and agree with us but for all people for all people i've had some friends who talk about others who've helped them along on their journey i've had they brag about these folks these men and women that have mentored them along their way. Everybody's salvation story usually has someone involved in it. And when people have been doing that, I've, I've tried to grow in the courage to ask them, is there anyone that's saying the same thing about you? Sometimes I don't want to know the answer to that. It's how, others, it's how others, other people have led people to their journeys. That's a huge story. And so I'm going to wrap this thing up by asking you, by asking all of you, is someone bragging about you, about how you've helped them along their journey, about how you've been their mentor? Is someone out there including you in their salvation story? I hope so. If not, we want to equip you and lead you and help you to do that. Jesus associated with a lot of unlikely people. He spent as much time chiding the religious elites because they were pretty much abused, the people, under their their watch. You know, they were supposed to be for these people, but it seemed like they were against them. And those are the ones that Jesus rejected the most. Those are the ones that he chided the most. They weren't living up to these standards that they were trying to have everyone else live up to. They were for some people. But not for all. Jesus approached the unapproachable. He associated with sinners. He touched the unclean. He touched the diseased. Because Jesus was for people and he wants his people to be for them as well. It's why we're here. It's why we're packing meals next week. It's why we do everything that we do. Because we want to be for people. We want to love God's people, we want to love God first. We want to make disciples that make disciples.